This is Amber and Ian on ESPN Radio. ESPN Radio is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Amber Wilson, Ian Fitzsimmons. We are back together, one reunited once again at Ian Fitz ESPN is where you find him. At Amber W Sports is where you find me. And we are in the midst of a Monday Night Football doubleheader. We're keeping you updated, of course, on all the live action. But... The big story all day long, Ian, has been that offsides penalty on Kadarius Tony. It has dominated the airwaves, and you and I discussed it earlier in the show. We had the pleasure of st- of speaking with Dean Bandino. He is the Fox Rules analyst, former vice president as well of officiating. He was on with us earlier, and he actually said some really interesting things about where NFL officiating needs to go. Take a listen. We get to analyze and evaluate based on four or five different slow motion angles and things like that. I do feel that we're relying so much on technology for some things that officials should be getting right on the field that the quality is, at least in my opinion, is not where it needs to be. And and I think it's more than just noise at this point. I think we are seeing a quality of officiating that isn't as good as where it needs to be. And I think it starts with the on-field and giving the officials good direction, consistent direction, and then utilizing technology, replay, those types of things to help get the big calls right. Officials are going to make mistakes. Players make mistakes. Coaches make mistakes. But you can't have mistakes in critical situations. And if you can use replay to help there, but also make sure we get it right initially, I think that's the goal. If you missed anything, you can always check out the podcast on the ESPN app. But when he said that, Ian, when he was on with us, you and I both looked at each other like, wow, that's that's the money soundbite, the take from Dean Bandino that the NFL officiating is not where it needs to be. Yeah, again, as you mentioned, that's the former vice president of of, of NFL officiating. Uh, he's he's been around this since the 1990s uh, in some capacity, either, either as a young official or as the VP of officials. And look, let's go back to last night, right? What drives me nuts, and we asked him about this also, where and if we can pull up the Dan Orlovsky clip from NFL Live earlier, where Orlovsky gets into Tony. And, he, and Orlovsky went back and watched every single snap of Kadarius Tony on the field to see, was he ever checking with a line judge or the down judge? The down judge on the, on the, on the big play uh, was on the Kansas City side, short side. And Kadarius Tony never, ever checks with either one to see if he is actually good. When you, you're taught that when you're in, in peewee ball. When you're when you're in a little, I remember playing for the Folsom Tigers. We had a money play called Fake Twenty Trap Twins Right, where Brian Billyot would take my spot as a wingback. I would go flex <laughs> out right, and the first thing we were taught when we were nine years old was to check with the damn ref to see if we were good. How the heck do you remember that play from nine years old? I don't know. I mean, but it's like, ridiculous. But, I mean, but I'm telling you, you learn that that young and for a professional wideout to not check with the line judge or down judge makes absolutely no sense. Here's Orlovsky on what he saw. I went back. I watched every single snap from last night that Kadarius Tony played. Not one time did he check with the official. But that play that we're talking about was not the first time it happened in the game. Kadarius Tony is in that same alignment consistently throughout that football game. Never once does he check with the official, but never once in that same alignment did the official ever warn him, hey, you have to get back. So is he offsides on that final play? 
Yeah, he probably is. But he was three, four, five other times in that game. So it's incumbent upon the officials in that situation to make sure he gets warned because that final play happened multiple times within that football game. Here's where I'll push back on what Orlovsky just said there. He said it's incumbent upon the officials to warn Kadarius Toney because he keeps lining up offsides. And is it, though? Like, is that the rule that, hey, officials, you have to warn the player before you can actually penalize the player? I believe the answer to that question is no. So it's not actually incumbent upon them to then warn him. And I asked Dean Blandino earlier, is part of this positional? Because, as I understood it, and as I've heard people who played football speak about things all day, it's very common to warn linemen that they're lined up in the neutral zone it's far less common to have this situation with a receiver who keeps lining up in the neutral zone over and over again so in that situation is the official who can't even see from the vantage point from his vantage point I believe it was a man from his vantage point the ball then he feels the need in that situation to throw the flag and don't forget he threw it before this super cool play developed like he had no way of knowing hey I'm throwing this flag and by the way Travis Kelsey's gonna get stopped by three defenders but he's gonna manage to lateral the ball back to Kadarius Tony who's going to march into an end zone and it's gonna look like this super cool play and also maybe win Kansas City the game like that wasn't the thought process he flew the the flag before all of that it could have just been a nothing play anyways yeah look was he offsides hell yes he was I mean that that that's not up for debate. You can and and Dan probably probably could take the word probably out of was he offsides? He was. We all yes. know that. He but was I've, I've worked a, a million games in, in the NFL as a sideline analyst and, and reporter, Amber, where I've seen the line judge say, "Hey, eighty-eight, back it up a bit. That's your what you, you've been warned. Back it up. Check you know check with me." But they don't so, have to do so, that. But it, no, they don't have to. But that is what they traditionally have always done. But again, was it a penalty? Yes. It's the consistency, not just in this game yesterday, and the magnitude of that game also weighs on this. And how magnificent that play was. You brought that up earlier, and I completely agree with you. But here's the other part, and going big picture, the the refs this year, all the, all the officials have had a horrendous season. I mean, just yesterday alone, I can give you a half a dozen plays off the top of my head in games that I was watching. The punt return in overtime, which the Ravens won the game against the Rams. There mm. is a blatant block in the back that was missed that cost the Rams a game and a chance to stay alive in the, in the playoff hunt. I mean, it's blatant. And Harry Black will tell you this as an old lineman who's been on punt return. I've got a brother in special teams that coaches with the Carolina Panthers. They they will tell you, you are coached and drilled in your head. They are looking for blocks in the back on punt return. Do not. You see their numbers in the back. You see that nameplate. Do not go near him. Don't breathe on him. Well, he did, and it wasn't thrown. It's amazing. Derek Carr, when Alvin Kamara runs a wrong screen route, is being wrapped up by a Carolina Panther, hits his offensive tackle between the seven and the six. That should have been intentional grounding. Wasn't thrown. Justin Fields being wrapped up, throws a ball going to the ground and hits an offensive lineman in the thigh. Intentional grounding. Wasn't thrown. I mean, I'm going off the top of my head here, Amber, just yesterday alone. So on the entire season, they have had a rough, rough year. Maybe it's the magnitude of some of the plays they've missed, like the punt return, like the one we're talking about with Kadarius Toney, 
right? But the biggest one also is what Orlovsky was talking about, and that's just and that's consistency. If you didn't throw the flag on Tony in the first quarter or the second quarter or the third quarter, why'd you throw it in the fourth quarter? That that to me, I agree with him. That doesn't make any sense. But the bottom line is, was he offside? Hell yes, he was. I think that there's a lot to be critical about when it comes to officiating generally across sports. I think one of the things that we learn is it's probably a whole lot harder to officiate these sports than any of us realize when we're sitting on our couches on television watching and we're able to see replay and we're able Wouldn't to see slowed do down video, right? And so I imagine in real time it is much, much, much harder than we give it credit for. But also there's a lot to be critical of, even understanding that. However, I don't think the place that we're critical is the place where they got the call right. I think that is a ridiculous conversation because yes, even though they normally maybe don't call it or they don't call it that often, or you've been getting away with it all game long. All that kind of says is we've been cheating all game long. Like we've been skirting the rules all game long (laughs) and you let me get away with it all the other times. So why didn't you let me get away with it here? The argument isn't, Oh, I wasn't skirting the rules, right? The argument was just, you shouldn't have called it even though I was doing it. Patrick Mahomes is throwing his helmet after the game or during the game at the end of the game another topic and it's him whining not because he thought Kadarius Tony wasn't offsides it's because he was angry that the officials called him for being offsides which in fact he was and that to me is just a very stupid place to begin or end an argument Amber and Ian is presented by Progressive Insurance insurance for motorcycles boats and RVs for protection on the road and on the water see how much you can save at 1-800-PROGRESSIVE and at progressive.com an update I don't want to give the Dolphins Titans game is now tied Uh, the Titans scored there's about five minutes left roughly in the second quarter we'll keep you updated on live action as we follow through yeah Packers Giants also tied 7-7 Robinson with a big big run on a jet sweep goes for 32 yards which sets up a Saquon Barkley touchdown eight yard run we are to have a tie ball game and a fumble Jordan Love fumbles uh Kayvon Thibodeau Forced the fumble, uh, McKinney out of Alabama. He recovered it. It is now first and 10 Giants ball uh, on their own 27-yard line. I'm going to need the Dolphins to get it together. Uh, the Dolphins are used to demolishing teams and lesser teams, and particularly at home. Tyreek Hill, though, remains on the sideline. Tyreek Hill got his ankle rolled up on uh, when he was going out of bounds on a play uh, unintentionally by the defender. And he has been on the sideline ever since, not with trainers, not in the tent, not in the locker room, but he's not in the game. So maybe trouble is brewing there. We'll keep you updated on Tyreek Hill's status as well. Coming up next, how much was Marvin Harrison Jr. off? Marvin, rewind. (laughs) Marvin Harrison Jr. He was offered a bleep ton of money to stay in college. We'll tell you about it. Hi, it's Mike Greenberg letting you know ESPN Bet is ready to take you through all the biggest sports moments this spring. The official sportsbook of ESPN has exclusive offers and markets from Scott Van Pelt, Stephen A. Smith, and me, plus many more. From the playoff intensity to finally getting out to the ballpark, there's no better time for sports fans. Sign up today. New users get a bet reset up to $1,000 in bonus bets if your first bet doesn't win. Download ESPN Bet today. What a play. Must be 21 plus and present in select states. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. See app for details. This podcast is proud to be supported by Jets Pizza, the number one pick in Detroit-style pizza. Why? It's simple. Jets is better. 
With the thickest, crispiest, cheesiest Detroit-style pizza in the country, there's no competition. Right now, get $5 off any 8-corner pizza with code 8SAVE. That's the number 8, S-A-V-E. Go to JetsPizza.com to learn more and find a location near you. Again, try Jets' signature 8-corner pizza and get $5 off with code 8SAVE. That's the number 8, S-A-V-E. Jets Pizza. Better because it has to be. It'll get much better than the year than Marvin Harrison Jr. had at wide receiver for the Ohio State Buckeyes. A Heisman finalist. He's won every award outside of the Heisman, basically, that you can win at that position in college football. And now he has to decide if he's coming back. You would typically think there ain't no way, Ian, because that's how these things work. When you tear it up like that, you head to the league. However, it is a new day and a new age. And there are reports out there that through NIL, Marvin Harrison Jr. is being offered $25 million <laughs> to remain a Buckeye. This is, you want to know, even before NIL and the portal and these team collectives, and if you don't know what the team collectives are, it's a group of really filthy rich boosters that raise money to pay players because now it's legal. Well, it, it was already a big business before this was all in place. That this this trifecta of whatever you wanted to, however you want to describe it, not Evil like this, some, though, right? No, I mean, people are showing saying. up with twenty five million in a McDonald's that bag, is, were they? <laughs> that is exactly what I am saying: is that it was illegal back then, but it was like. 20 grand, not right. 20 million. <laughs> I mean, you know how would I mean? you even fit 20 million but, in a brown bag? That's part of the problem. The logistics oh, of it were too man, complicated w- back w- then. W- former basketball coach Sonny Smith for Auburn, who coached Charles Barkley, great friend of ours, I mean, and Wim Sanderson. Man, it's a great story from, from Sonny Smith. He's going to recruit, I think it was Reggie King, and they pull up, they're sitting out in front of Reggie King's house, uh, who was an Alabama great, played in the NBA for many, many, many years. And all of a sudden, it wasn't Wimp Sanderson, Alabama head coach, that showed up. It was this dude that Sonny Smith and I think uh, Dean Smith were also waiting to go and recruit Reggie King. This, now we're going back to the 70s here. This dude with a big old bag just shows up, and Sonny goes, Coach Smith, you want to go get breakfast? He goes, well, why? He goes, you don't know who that is? He goes, no. He goes, that's Wimp's number one bag, man. We got no shot. Let's go eat. <laughs> <laughs> So, I mean, it was going on back then, but now it's all legal. So yeah. here's the kicker with Marvin Harrison Jr. If this, if these reports, and it's multiple ones that are out there, that the Ohio State Collective is ready to pay a wide receiver around 20 to $25 million, if that is true, and this were to happen, by the way, if I'm Marvin Harrison Jr., I'm still going to the, to the NFL because, one, I want to get my – my my year to my second contract started, right? So if you go back to Ohio State, you're losing a year of getting to that 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 first really big contract. But if even if he does come back, these are some of the names where in one year at Ohio State, he would be making more than the career earnings of guys like Justin Fields. Jonathan Taylor running back for the Colts, DeAndre Swift of the Eagles, Calvin Ridley of the Jaguars, Devontae Smith of the Eagles, 
T. Higgins with the Bengals, Brandon Ayuk with the Niners, Justin Jefferson, Jalen Waddle of your Miami Dolphins, none of them have made yet in their career. Now, will they? Yes. But to this point, none of them will have made in their career what Marvin Harrison Jr. would make next season playing college football for the Ohio State Buckeyes if this report is accurate where the collective there at Ohio State has raised $20 million plus dollars to entice him to return. And think about this, Amber. That's almost half of what his father, a Hall of Fame wide receiver from the Colts, made in his entire NFL career. If, Damn. if these reports are true. I, $25 million sounds I, I too high it. to me. I, it doesn't make sense to me, particularly, frankly, for a wide receiver. You're not winning an Addy just based on a wide receiver. And $25 million is, is so much money. What's interesting to me about these booster collectives, the way that NIL is working, and it is the wild, wild west out there. Right now, there are very few regulations. There's certainly no uniformity in terms of regulations. States have their own regulations. Universities have their own bylaws trying to regulate these things. There's no uniformity. Which is why it's unfair. Which is which is why yeah, which is which was of course what makes it unfair, but also what has led to problems with these booster collectives is certainly not the original intention of name, image, and likeness. Nobody argues whether the student athletes should have been able to benefit this entire time off their own name, image, and likeness. Meaning right. you sell a jersey with the you know, you sell their jersey or you sell you sell a, a plaque with their face on it, you know, they should be able to get some of that, right? Because you're of course making money off of their image. Fine. Nobody has a problem with that. It's these booster collectives where rich boosters just come together and they just quite literally pool money into a fund and then they just pay for them, pay for the player. It's not pay for play because it's not coming from the university itself, but it's coming from the boosters of the university. What's interesting to me about that Which is, is damn the, near, it might as well be the same stinking thing because you're getting them to go play for the school. But it, so. it's actually, it's actually in a way it's worse because at least with the universities, when you have pay for play, there's only a certain amount that any athletic department makes, even at Bama, right? I mean, even these huge schools and these huge programs it's still a revenue model at some point you would get to a point where it doesn't make sense to play payer x anything even if you didn't have a salary cap but if it was coming from the athletic department it's like all right well yes we only make so much money off of football even if it's tons and tons of money right there's still a set amount that you end up making in any given season with these booster collectives you're talking about just straight people's individual funds so it's like just oil money in texas coming together right so it's billions of dollars which is more than any of these programs are you know are theoretically making any individual program it is billions and billions of dollars over here from this booster collective at texas a&m because it's a bunch of billionaires that have pooled their money together and then you go over here to this other school in this other state and it's like we're working with a few you know tens of thousands and and our boosters are trying to step up to the plate and they're giving their hard-earned money but they just don't have it like those boosters over there what's amazing to me is that any of these boosters even if you've got a be in front of your bank account. How is it? I, I just, I mean, I, God, I love the university of Florida so much. I, I love Gator football and I just, I don't know if I can imagine a world. I mean, if I guess if I was a billionaire maybe, but it's year after year after year with these college kids that you would have to be putting millions and millions and millions of dollars of your own money into an account Amber to try is- to buy a team. It feels unsustainable from an individual perspective from these boosters. I guess I'm amazed by it from the booster perspective. Well, it's, it's called jock sniffing. And you wonder why Dylan Gabriel is leaving Oklahoma, by the way, uh, to, to go to Oregon. 
Why? Because he can make $1.52 million. It's free agency. You know, right. And do I think that Marvin Harrison Jr. is going to go back to Ohio State? No, I don't. Um, but do I think that Ohio State, having lived there for four years and covered the Buckeyes, do I think they have boosters that have that in, in, their, in their wallet to be able to pay him $20 million to come back for, for one more year and make a run in a natty? Yeah, I do. Yeah, but, but then they're going to have to do it for somebody else next year and somebody it, else it, next year. That's and, what I guess is and, amazing and about it because the boosters aren't making money yeah. off of it. No, but they love their football teams, hence the term jock sniffer. Uh, and, right. and that's, that, that, that's, that's the world we're living in right now. Boosters. That's it. And, and, I they, mean, it's wild. That, by the way, the NCAA president just proposed a, a, an actual pay-for-play system, which what was it, so interesting about that is, is this is the first time that we've seen the NCAA propose a model where you could actually take non-educational funds from a university and pay the players. But we're talking like $30,000, which is not going to do a very good job right now competing with this $25 million nope. model. Coming up next, uh, we will run the hurry up around the league. The football season never ends with Amber and Ian. Turn it up and down. Turn it up and down. This is the Harry Up. This is the Hurry Up where we go around the NFL. We touch on some action that we haven't yet gotten to discuss. Amber Wilson, Ian Fitzsimmons hanging out with you here. ESPN Radio presented by Progressive Insurance. Let's get to it. Bucks 29, Falcons 25. In the division that nobody wants to win, Ugh. Ian Fitzsimmons, or that's what it feels like anyways, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers now, after winning this thing, they sit, they sit right now fourth in the uh, seating. I mean, they are going into a postseason. If the season ended today at six and seven, of course, Atlanta also now sitting at six and seven. So those two teams battling it out, but the Bucks got the best of this matchup. This was actually a very entertaining game. I watched part of this thing. Drake London, wide receiver out of USC, monster game. Ten grabs, a buck seventy-two. Desmond Ritter goes for what three forty-seven, and a mm-hmm. touchdown. Also had a bad pick, but I mean, it, this was for two teams that are now six and seven. This was a very entertaining game. It was Baker Mayfield and the boys find a way to get it done? Give him a tip of the cap. Yeah, I actually watched this game inexplicably. It ended up not being uh, so terrible that I was watching this thing. Let's move along. Bears 28, Lions 13. The Lions have just really fallen fallen since they got exposed on Thanksgiving, right? Like Thanksgiving broke this Detroit team, and everybody on it seems to have come back down to earth right when everybody was crowning the Lions. And I was so slow to come around on this Lions team. I never came around on them last season when people were trying to make them the trendy pick. And this season, I was trepidatious about coming around on this team. And then I finally came around on them, Ian, and I took them on Thanksgiving Day. I decided that they were very much the real deal and that I could not deny this thing any longer. And then since then, they have been terrible. And Jared Goff, he's not Jared Goof. I still believe in him. However, he looks a little bit more like that guy than the other guy that we saw through the first half of the season. 161 yards, a touchdown, multiple interception, though, day from Jared Goff. Uh, I don't know if this Lions team's headed the right direction. Well, I'm going to go with uh, to the Bears side. Justin Fields is now healthy, and he's playing ball. Mm-hmm. And uh, look, I'm one of those guys that were questioning Matt Eberflus. He's got him playing good football right now. I know they're only 5-8, and eight, but now your quarterback's healthy. They look like a different football team, and they own the number one overall pick or the number seven pick in the upcoming draft. 
If I'm the Bears right now, I'm shopping that number one. I would not trade Justin Fields. You're seeing what he can do when he's healthy. I'm shopping that bad boy and getting a Herschel Walker-type deal. Give me three ones. Give me a couple twos. Whoever wants Caleb Williams, you better come with a heavy damn package, and then you you fortify everybody around him, and then go play some ball in the NFC North. What I mean, we just talked about him. Would you draft Marvin Harrison Jr. with a number one overall pick? No, there's no reason no. to. You no. would just trade back. You tra- just no, trade back no. a few spots. No, yeah, you you trade that number one overall for a ridiculous haul. I'm talking yeah, to you, you. You're talking about Caleb Williams here, man. You're talking about Caleb Williams and Justin Fields is a remarkable player. You can get three ones and three twos probably for that number one overall. Well, I pick. don't know. It depends. I, I you wouldn't be able to trade back very far. Although you could use your other pick maybe because that'll be a high That's pick a as well. Because Marvin Harrison Jr. is not going to go. My point is you can't trade back he too far because you're not going to get him either in this scenario. But. Third or fourth. Cardinals. Cardinals. That's three, right? Yep. Yeah. Absolutely. So. That's just me. Bears are playing better football. Why? If, I, if I'm Justin the Bears, Fields I'm also healthy. sticking with you. Just stick with Justin Fields. Build around him. There's so many needs on that team. Justin yep. Fields has absolutely showed talent in the National Football League. You know what? I've never seen Caleb Williams do show any talent in the NFL yet. Right, by the way, that dude, I've seen him in person four times. He may end up being he, excellent. He's going to be special. He but it's got a 50% yeah. hit rate. It's uh, uh, only right. a 50% hit rate on that position at that pick. I, I'm never convinced of, of any quarterback coming out at one, two, or three. It's a 50% hit rate. All right. If you've got a guy in hand that's already shown you talent there, stick with the guy in hand who's shown you the talent because the other guy could turn out to be a bust. We don't know. I'll tell you this about Caleb Williams. I talk to the same four NFL scouts every week when I do a game. Every one of them, independent of one another, brought up the same names as far as tangibles and traits and, and comps to Caleb Williams. Andrew Luck, Peyton Manning, John Elway. Damn. Yeah, that's set the bar pretty low. I mean, oh, my God. All right, fine. He's he's Andrew Luck mixed with Peyton Manning, a little Tom Brady on the side, and some Patrick Mahomes as well. Brady's Brady's name never came up. Next. Bengals 34, Colts 14. Jake Browning looks a little bit like that, like one of those quarterbacks. <laughs> Everything wrapped up. He gets the suite from his quarterback, from Joe Burrow. Joe Burrow gives up his suite to Browning's family, to Browning's girlfriend, and Browning balls out in front of them. 275 yards, couple tutties. The Bengals win the game. If you can survive something with your backup quarterback, you're in a pretty good position. You know, when he was coming out of Washington, I mean, he didn't have the strongest arm and still doesn't, but... My gosh, has he been accurate. This is a, a tremendous story. I'd written the Bengals off for dead after Joey B got hurt. Here they are at seven and six and in the playoff hunt. And depending on how things shake out next Sunday, you can have all four right now they are mathem they're like four different tiebreakers that have them out of that seventh spot at seven and six, because there's a gauntlet of teams at seven and six right now, Amber. But when you look at if they win next week and a couple teams lose. You have all four teams in the AFC North that are in the playoffs. That's amazing. And their Bengals are being led by Jake Browning. Mm-hmm. Great story. I don't know if you can win a Super Bowl with Jake Browning, but it is a heck of a story. Next. Browns 31, Jaguars 27. You can win a Super Bowl with Joe Flacco. He's playing for the Cleveland Browns, and 
he was a solid backup quarterback as well. 311 yards, three touchdowns, an interception from him. On the other side, though, speaking of those can't-miss number one picks, Ian, Trevor Lawrence, three interceptions on the day. Are the Jags as good as... We thought they were. What's yeah, happening on, there? That's a really good ankle. Cleveland defense, though, in fairness. Yeah, oh, really good. Those dudes will hunt you. I mean, sideline to sideline. Yeah, but Trevor Lawrence is on one ankle. Uh, I mean, he's got it out there. He's tough as hell. He's, he had missed a game even going back to high school. So Ever. I know. Yeah, it's bizarre. That, that, that's remarkable. I, I'm not worried about Trevor Lawrence at all. I'm going to give full credit to Joe Flacco. 311 yards, three touchdowns, and one INT off the couch. Off the damn couch. He was on the practice squad last week. Practice. And they elevated him up, and now Stefanski said, no, nope, he's our guy the rest of the way. Great story. Joe Flacco. Well, yeah, he is. <laughs> beyond tip of the cap. I bow down to you, old man. Well done. Next. Jets 30, Texan 6. Oh, Zachy. Zach Wilson. You know I like being right about things, and I don't get to often be right about Zach Wilson because I've done a lot of defending Zach Wilson over the last couple years. Zach Wilson has not always pulled through for me, but here he is standing up for all Wilsons. My prodigal son here, Zach Wilson, 27 of 36, 301 yards, two touchdowns. He looked like the quarterback that everybody has wanted him to be, which is bizarre. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> because it kind of came out of nowhere. <laughs> kind of. I mean, cold, rain. Right. I mean, it's against it's, a good Houston Texans defense. It's been better this season than any of us thought. The total on this game going uh, at kickoff on ESPN bet was 30 and a half. I mean, this, this that's an Iowa Northwestern type total. And this one actually went over because of Zach Wilson in the second half. It's like he said, you know what? To hell with it. This is a 0-0 game at the half. They scored all 30 points in the second half of this game. I mean, I, look, Zach Wilson, you're growing up, man. 301 yards, two tuds. Love it for the youngster. Now, for the Texans, C.J. Stroud in concussion protocol. If he doesn't clear it, here comes the Stanford Cardinal, Davis Mills. He'll be back at quarterback for the Houston Texans. But the story is the Jets and Zach Wilson. Well done, young man. Very, very well done. A lot of people eating their words today about Zach Wilson. Well, we'll see what it looks like next week. Next. Ravens 37, Rams 31. So the Ravens end up winning this thing. However, Ian Fitzsimmons is here to tell you they never should have. Look, one, the Ravens are, are just a damn good football team. But what the Rams have been able to do the last four or five weeks with that offensive line protecting Matthew Stafford, Williams at a Notre Dame healthy and toting the football. I mean, they, they look, hey, they've looked great. And they went on the road, West Coast to East Coast, and, and it, were right in this game in overtime. And they lose it on a punt return for a touchdown that gets housed because of a block in the back. And Harry Black played college football in the Big Ten in Illinois. My brother coaches teams in the NFL. They will all tell you, Harry Black, on punt return, what are you? What, what did your coaches tell you in college that every ref is looking for? Not just the coaches, Ian. We actually had the refs come into our practices and say, if it is close, if you even touch his back, we are going to throw the flag. It's That's letter of the law on punt returns. Do not touch them in the back. And what happened in this game? It was a block in the back. 
Next thing you know, it gets housed. Give full credit to the Ravens. They found a way to win, but, man, they should still be playing right now in Baltimore. The Ravens sitting at the top of the AFC right now after that win. The Miami Dolphins would like to say something about that, but they're going to have to get past Tennessee tonight to do that. And right now they are losing to Tennessee 10 to 7. Come on, Finns. Get it together, guys. What the hell? All right, what's up next? Vikings 3, Raiders 0. <laughs> oh, I mean, this game's not going to make me feel any better. Goodness. 3 0. That was the final score of an NFL game involving the Minnesota Vikings and the Las Vegas Raiders, Ian. Did you stay tuned in for all four quarters? Hell no. And this wasn't like the Ice Bowl, Amber. I mean, this was in a controlled climate at Allegiant Stadium. It wasn't negative 30. We weren't pulling icicles out of our nostrils. Mullins three versus O'Connell. And the, the, the three points were scored with a minute and a half to go. So bad. This set football back, forget decades, centuries. I mean, leather helmets weren't worthy of this. Three nothing in modern football? One word, damn. All right, let's do a couple more really quickly. 49ers 28, Seahawks 16. Niners rolling. Brock Purdy's a beast. And anyone who doesn't want to give this young man credit because he was drafted dead last, shut the hell up. You don't know football. I mean, his yards per attempt are second in the league. It's not dink and dunk and check down Charlie. He goes for 368 yards and two tuds. Christian McCaffrey, a buck 45 on the ground. Debo Samuel, seven grabs for a buck 49 uh, and receiving and a touchdown. The Niners, they had that little ditch when they had a lot of guys that were hurt. Now look at them. Best team right now, maybe not just in the NFC, but maybe in football. Purdy was 19 to 27, 368 yards, a couple touchdowns, and an interception. Niners get another big win finally. Broncos 24, Chargers 7. These Denver Broncos, Ian, they could make a postseason. They lost to your fish 70 to 20, outscored by 50. And here they are in the playoff hunt. That's not just Sean Payton, but you also have to credit the players buying into what a Super Bowl champion head coach was trying to get them to do. And I know he berated Russell Wilson last week. Well, they answered yesterday. This team right now is is one of the best stories going in the National Football League. They're sitting at ninth right now on the bubble in the AFC. Speaking of the AFC, Titans Right now, over Dolphins, 10-7. That game is at the half. Packers over Giants, same score. That game also at the half on the Monday night doubleheader. Coming up next here on Amber and Ian, it's our favorite time. It's story time with Ian Fitzsimmons. The midst of a doubleheader on Monday Night Football, both of those games at the half. Titans taking on the Finns in Miami, Packers taking on the Giants in New York. Let's start with Titans-Dolphins because, Ian, this game 10-7, the Titans leading the way. That might surprise people. Tyreek Hill went out of this game with an apparent ankle injury. He's not officially out of this game. I mean, he physically went out of this game. He went and stood on the sidelines and then just kind of didn't put his helmet back on. But he wasn't ruled out. There weren't trainers around them. He didn't go back into the locker room. It feels like he's in an emergency-only situation. Yeah, it, it, the official word was questionable to return. But when he's, when, 
the moment he got hurt, right? I mean, he was in obviously some serious pain. And then he had this angry look come over his face and then sprinted off the field right after his head coach, Mike McDaniel, looked at him and said, hey, how, how are you? And he gave him a thumbs up. You can read his lips going, oh, I'm good. And then sprinted off the field. We haven't seen him since. The only time we've seen him is on the sidelines with a towel around his neck. So um, I, I said earlier, I'd be surprised if he didn't return the way he sprinted off the field. Um, I was dead wrong and a football fool. I don't think he's coming back in this game. But right now, I, hey, the Miami's only touchdown is on a fat man pick six off yeah. Will Levis. Yeah. Miami's juggernaut offense, the scoring machine, hasn't put up a damn thing yet. Hasn't done anything so far. It was Zach Seiler who had that five-yard interception return from And Jason Sanders, of course, made the extra point. So that's their seven points. Derrick Henry is the one who scored for the Titans on a one-yard rush. So 10-7. And then... You have the Dolphins' offense woes before and after that injury to Tyreek Hill. So there were 13 plays before Hill got injured. There were 17 plays after Hill got injured on offense. The passing yards went from 50 before he got injured to 24 after he got injured. The pressure percentage went from 14% before to 78% after. Tyreek is not their entire offense. But that offense largely runs through Tyreek Hill. It's why he's in contention this season for MVP, as he absolutely should be, because he's so pivotal pivotal to the success of that team. And without him being out there in the way that he's normally out there, then of course, yes, this weapon is or this offense is missing one of its most dynamic weapons. It's going to struggle initially. Hopefully they'll make some sort of adjustment at the half. But initially I'm not shocked that it doesn't look the same without him. I hate to tell you this, but a lot of times those halftime adjustments, you know what those are? Hmm. Bathroom breaks. Hmm. <laughs> yes. I'm going to need more than that from them. <laughs> yes. I mean, this is a really important like game minutes. for the one I mean, seed in the how AFC. How much of an like, adjustment do you really make at halftime? You talk to any – I mean, Peyton Manning talked about, talked about this. A lot of coaches have. You know what the adjustments are? This uh, – right, yeah, we'll try that. And uh, oh, wait, where's our quarterback? Oh, he's in the head. There we go. All right. We'll tell him on the way out. There's your adjustment. <laughs> Well, they're going to need to do something uh, because the Dolphins have to win this thing to take control. I mean, they're not – it still would be far from over, but they could try to take right now the number one seed from the Ravens, which everybody's been toggling for the number one seed at the top of that that, uh, conference. Let's talk about Giants-Packers, though. The same score, by the way, in this game, 10-7. to It's very ugly games tonight on Monday Night Football. Green Bay leading the way in this one. You know, I, I, what is there to say about this one? That's a, same thing. Ten seven. Yeah, Jordan yeah. Love thirteen of twenty right. for a buck sixteen and a really bad pick. Uh, and and uh, Reed had their their one touchdown on a jet sweep. Uh, the Paisan, Tommy DeVito, uh, seven of ten, uh, forty eight yards. Uh, Saquon Barkley's got their uh, the Giants only touchdown. This one's just uh, just equally as ugly. I mean. It, it, what else are you going to say? 10-7 at the half. Yeah. There you go. Yeah. Packers Ten trying seven, to keep their playoffs hope alive. Yeah. Uh, Jordan Love's gotten a lot of love over the last couple of weeks. Uh, he's going to need to show up a bit more in this game to justify it, at least for now. So we will continue to keep you updated, although both those games at the half doubt anything is going to happen in the next couple of minutes here. What is going to happen is story time by Ian Fitzsimmons. It's story time with Ian Fitzsimmons. All right, so this was my first weekend home since late August, uh, traveling every weekend either with college football or college and NFL games. And, Amber, 
I, I got to salute my bride because that woman is, is superhuman. Because I basically took over her role as a single parent this weekend with two daughters, in, both in high school. My youngest is a freshman. My oldest is a senior. I had no idea because she never complains at all on any weekend being a single parent for this entire year and now having both girls in high school. Because she still has to take Marin to basketball practice, and Marin, you know, like here's here was this like is only my, one only only one of them drives right, or only right, one of them correct. Has a car? Okay, and she yeah. got her first ticket this weekend, rolling a stop mm-hmm. sign. Oh, but I, I almost stopped. It's kind of like you know Kadarius Tony. He was almost not off sides, right? But he was. She was. She rolled the stop sign. She got a damn ticket. But anyway, mm-hmm. I have to wait up. This is what my wife does on Friday and Saturday nights. Waits for Rowan to come home. So that's she has a twelve thirty curfew. You're not going to bed now because the adrenaline's going because you're, you're, you're going, right, come on home, come on home, come on home, come on home. Oh, yeah. So that's 1 a.m. before you're going to bed. But before that, you're having to run the other one to basketball practice. And then she wants to go over to her friend's house, and you got to go run her over there. And then go pick her up. And then they want to go eat. It was insane. I mean, non-bleeping stop to the point where yesterday I just sat down on the couch and I went, can I just watch football? No. You can't, because Marin's got basketball. And this was it. Was, hey, to every single parent out there, God bless every one of you, because I was that guy for, for just two days, two and a half days, and I almost said, you know what, I'm out. I I used to think my mom gave me a curfew for my benefit when I was in high school, you know, to make me a better person. But I'm realizing now it was just so she could go to sleep. Coming up next, <laughs> Hugh Myers. He's not going to sleep.